All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions and also Mark Allred Jr. over there in uh, Massachusetts. We're happy to have with us today guest uh, co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how you doing today? Doing great. Andrew, ready for a great podcast. Why don't you give us the intro here, a former uh, Idaho player. I'm looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, so we're going to welcome our guest today, Sean Boutain. So Sean began competing in juniors as a young defenseman in the QMJHL, or the Q, as many know the, the league, um, for a team. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not even trying to pronounce and embarrass myself, but we'll have Sean say it here later. But from 2006 to 2011, following his junior hockey days, Sean went on to sign his first pro contract in the CHL with the Arizona Sundogs from 2011 to 2012. The year after, Sean eventually signed in the East Coast Hockey League with the Stockton Thunder and played with the team for three or four years and later uh, joined the Idaho Steelheads for the next two seasons. Following his five-year tenure in the ECHL, Sean took his defensive services overseas to the EIHL and signed with the Coventry uh, Blaze with the, the following season. Sean later uh, continued to play between the uh, Dell 2 League and the EIHL for the next four, uh, three to four years. But most notably for our EIHL listeners, because we have a lot of Sheffield fans, he was uh, with the Dundee Stars for a few years, serving as assistant captain from 2018 to 2020. Now in fall of 2020, Sean split his time shortly overseas and spent some of his time back in the U.S. suiting up for Rapid City Rush. And Sean is still actively playing. In fact, just this season, he returned back to uh, Europe and suited up for Mulhouse. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And you served as the captain for that team. I'm winded. Yeah. Sean's had a great career so far, and we're excited to have him on the show. So, Sean, thanks for joining us today, man. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here. So, Sean, what a resume so far. Uh, we're excited to hear some stories about your journey. So, going back to the beginning and your junior days in the queue, you played a rare, uh, rare five years. So did you feel playing in the queue that long really helped prepare you for pro hockey compared to maybe if you went the collegiate route? I mean, for uh, where I'm from, uh, you know, we don't hear a lot about uh, universities. Uh, so my way was obviously going to be uh, QMGHL. And I got lucky enough. I got drafted in my hometown in Val d'Or. Uh, so, yeah, I played from 16 to my overage year uh, in my hometown. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to play in front of my, all of my friends, my family. Uh, we had some great years. We had some tougher years, but, uh, overall, yeah, I think, uh, playing in the QMGHL prepares you to, to play pro hockey pretty well because uh, you're playing a lot of games. You have similar lifestyle my, minus, uh, you know, the, the school part that you don't have, uh, in pro hockey, but yeah, overall, uh, I was really happy that I took that route. Um, and, um, you know, like I like I said, playing in front of friends and family, uh, it was uh, it was something unbelievable for me. So, did it help at all? I noticed too uh, with other players that played uh, in juniors for three or four years that you know occasionally they switch up teams and move and things like that. But you stayed with Valdor for um, all five years. Um, Clearly, you you had a bit of a home there. I know you probably lived close by and everything, but uh, was there a reason why you maybe stayed with the team for five years, didn't move on? Was it just you fit the system so well fit for you? What was kind of the reason why you were there for so long? Well, I mean, you know, like I said, it was my hometown. And uh, at my when I was 19 year, years old, they, uh, they were talking about trading me for a winning team. And then uh, the organization decided that they wanted uh, to keep me here uh, you know, because um, 
you know, I grew up in that locker room. My dad's a strength coach from the team since 1993. So I uh, basically grew up in that, uh, in that locker room. I know the organization. And uh, so they decided to keep me. Uh, I was happy to stay. But at the same time, uh, I wish I had a chance to win at my uh, 19, 20-year-old year. But with that being said, uh, no regrets that way for sure. So your age out here, you're captain of the team. So talk a little bit about uh, developing into the captain role and how that kind of prepared you for when you're going to be a pro and you're playing with grown adult men. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's being a captain is uh, like, like you guys know, it's a responsibility that uh, you don't take lightly. And for me, being a captain for my hometown team, it was uh, such an honor, uh, you know, to lead the way um for the young players on our team because you know when you're 16 years old 17 years old you're uh, you're so far away uh, from pro, pro hockey but i had the chance to go to nhl camp when i was 18 um so um so yeah i was uh it was my role to help the the younger guys and uh you know show um show them the community uh show them how uh how our town here supports the player and everything so uh it was a big role i was uh, really happy to uh, to lead the team yeah, so then, of course, uh, you end up signing your first pro hockey deal with the Arizona Sundogs in uh, the CHL, um, at the time, the CHL. And so kind of two questions here. First one is uh, take us through the moment, right, of getting uh, that call for your first deal. And um, what led to your decision with signing the CHL? Was there other offers that you had? What, what's kind of going through your mind as a pro as you're getting ready to sign your first contract? I'm always, it can't be that simple, right? No, uh, you know, like you guys look, probably look at my stats. I'm not the guy that has the, the most points. Uh, so to sign in the ECHL back then, you really had to be uh, put, put up points or be a 6'2", 6'2", guy, uh, big shutdown guy. So I didn't have a whole lot of options, to be honest, but I had a couple. And uh, my agent told me that uh, the best way would be to go play in the CHL because I would have more ice time than if I was in the coast. There's more up and downs in the coast and stuff like that back then. Uh, well, still uh, still uh, to this day. But, uh, yeah, so the CHL, uh, I was uh, in between going to Fort Wayne and uh, Arizona. And uh, coach uh, in uh, Arizona was a French-Canadian guy. I Marco Pietrini, a really good guy, really good coach. So I decided to go uh, to go to Arizona. Uh, beautiful place in Prescott Valley. There, it's unfortunate they don't have a team anymore. But uh, so I made the choice to go there. Uh, I uh, I had a lot of ice time, but unfortunately we uh, we didn't uh, make the playoffs. Uh, we didn't have a good year, and Fort Wayne ended up winning the cup. So oh, so geez. maybe <laughs> maybe that was a bad choice, but I don't regret it at all. I learned a lot of things. I traveled all uh, all over. Uh, Arizona uh, made a life uh, long friends with uh, Marco Pietroniro played with uh, his kids um, Chad and Phil this year so uh, hockey's a small world um, so yeah I was I was really really happy to sign my first pro contract uh, for me it was a dream come true come true even though it's not the NHL to be able to to make a living while playing hockey was uh, was unbelievable uh, an unbelievable feeling for me yeah. Talk to us a little uh, on the personal side of the maybe culture shock of, you know, coming from Quebec to Arizona, you know, not a typical, uh, you know, East Coast uh, American place. 
what was it like to, uh, you know, go to this strange place out in really the desert? In a new country, too. Yeah, that. Oh, oh yeah. First time, first one I got off the plane, I went to the gas station and uh, I saw I saw a guy with a pistol on the on the side pocket. <laughs> and I called my dad. I was like, Jesus, dad, I just saw a guy walking around with a gun. He's like, yep, welcome to America, buddy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so, go America. But, but yeah, here uh, where I'm from, northern Quebec, you know, it's uh, it's uh, really cold and a lot of snow during the winter. And uh, we have nice summers. Like right now, it's like um, 24 degrees Celsius. It's really nice out here. But uh, yeah, man, uh, it, it's all like, that's where I learned to uh, love country music, you know, because back uh, where I'm from, it wasn't popular at all uh, back then. So uh, yeah, I learned a new culture and that's what I did uh, throughout my career, you know, I, I moved a lot. I learned a lot of new culture. I love doing that. Love uh, discovering new places and meet, meeting new people. And uh, yeah. So it. on the on the hockey side of things, what was one or two important lessons that you learned as a player during your first pro year? Uh, to make sure you show up every day, you know, and minor uh, minor pro. It can go up and down real quick. You know, one day you could be playing uh, playing a lot, and the next day there's a couple guys uh, being sent down. Uh, you know, your role is uh, your role's changing a lot. So yeah, not to take any days off. You know, show up every day, be the best pro you can be. You know, and have fun doing it because it goes by really fast. So that next year, I believe this is when, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is where the ECHL and CHL merge, right? Oh, that was the year after that. The, the, the next year, my first ECHL year was the year of the lockout. Oh, okay. So the year of the lockout then, did you end up, was it hard to find ice time at all? Because I know a lot of the NHL players that want to stay in the States play in the AHL. All the AHL players got kicked down. What was that like during that lockout year? Did you play with anybody that was an NHL player or anything? Yeah, man, it was uh, – so I walked – I got to Stockton. I got offered a contract, but it was uh, it was clear that uh, it was going to be hard for me to make my uh, make my spot on the, on the roster. So I made the team as a seventh defenseman. And I only got scratched uh, one game throughout the season. Wow. So I was able to make my, my spot on the roster and, and keep it. And like I said, it was, it was only, a, it's only a matter of every day uh, working hard and taking it one day at a time, enjoying it, because you never know when it's going to go away. So, so I got lucky enough. We had a good club, that, uh, a good team that year. Um, that year, was it that? No, the year after. Um, we were with uh, Oklahoma City affiliated. So yeah. I got... That year, I got the chance to play with my best friend Philippe Cornet, that played for OKC for a couple of years. So that was uh, that was also a dream come true because uh, we grew up uh, playing hockey together until uh, we played major junior. So, so that was a good thing. But uh, no, it was hard at first uh, to, to get some ice time. But then, uh, you know, since I'm an easy guy to coach, I'm a I'm a yes no uh, kind of guy, you know. So uh, I made my place, and um, and our coach uh, back then, Matt Thomas, that's now with uh, Providence uh, Bruins. Yep. Uh, I think he liked me. We had a good um, we had a good chemistry together, and uh, he taught me a lot. That guy was one of the best coaches I've ever had. 
So talk a little bit about the uh, the season where you go all the way up to the Kelly Cup finals and uh, not to rub salt in the wound, you know, guys didn't make it there, but talk to us a little bit about the playoff intensity compared to regular season and what was your experiences during those playoff rounds that particular season? Well, that run was probably the best, uh, the best playoff run of my life. So we started, we, we had a good team, but uh, we were not, uh, we didn't have the best roster. So on paper, we weren't the favorites at all. So we won our first round, uh, second round, we were playing uh, Vegas and uh, uh, our coach and Vegas coach were best friends. So uh, we knew it was going to be intense uh, right off the bat. Um, we started uh, the series at home, two games at home, won both of them, went for three in Vegas. And uh, as you guys know, it's not really easy uh, to win in Vegas for a couple different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we lost three in a row over there and then came back to Stockton, uh, losing 3-2 in the series. And um, at the end of the game, there's seven minutes left. We're, we're losing 4-1 to one, and we made a comeback to tie 3-3 and then we won that series. So, And then that gave, gave, us, uh, gave us swings for, uh, for the rest of the, play, the playoffs. Fortunately, we... Uh, we got short in the finals. We had a lot of injuries. Uh, our first goalie was out with a concussion. We were playing four defensemen. And, you know, in playoffs in ECHL, it's physical. It's intense. So playing four defensemen, it's, it's almost impossible to, to play your best game. But uh, we were proud of ourselves. And uh, we were in our hearts at the end of the, the playoffs, we were conference champions. So we had a, we had a T-shirt uh, that said champions. We were happy about that. Awesome. What, is, um, what is the key for a defenseman during a, a long playoff run? Is it staying healthy? Is it not making mistakes? Is it building confidence? What are some keys that a defenseman needs? Uh, especially for my style of playing, uh, you need to be uh, consistent. You know, you uh, you need to be consistent. The coach needs to know that uh, he can trust you at all time. Uh, you also have to take care of your body, you know, like uh, ice baths, stretching, take a day off if you need uh, on a practice day. Uh, but your focus needs to be 100% on, uh, on your job and what you need to do. You need to be a good pro. Uh, you need to be a good teammate and uh, you need to want to win. If you, uh, you can't be a passenger because otherwise uh, you're not at the right place. So, so yeah, it's uh, playoff hockey is the best time of the year. Like uh, you guys know. So um, I miss that a lot. I miss the North American uh, playoff style. Did you have to do anything mentally, physically to prepare for those playoff matchups or was it pretty similar to like any other regular season matchup or is there something special you had to do to prepare yourself? I mean, I was I was a young pro player at the time, so I was kind of trying to go with the flow and um, trying to look at the older guys, uh, uh, you know, how they were how they were acting in the dressing room, and um, you know, ask, asking a lot of questions, and you know, being a good pro is just take care of yourself, and you know, don't do stupid stuff off the ice. It's a, it's a short period of time that can change your life, so you just sacrifice, make some sacrifice to to be a hundred percent focused into the playoffs and uh, you know it's it's a bit comparable to major junior hockey uh playoffs because it's the same formula mm. it's a best of seven and uh, you know the major junior hockey playoffs go they they take a while and they're they're tough on your body especially because you're a young kid uh but you're a bit more mature so you know you learn faster and uh you're always trying to make sure that you're ready for the next game no matter how tired you are no matter how hurt you are you 
you got to give it all. So I imagine then, uh, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you went to the playoffs four times in your junior career, right? You only missed it. I think it was your that hump year, right? That third year, I think you guys missed it. But did those help you prepare for ECHL playoffs? I guess just being for sure. That? A hundred percent for sure. My first year when I was uh, 16, I lost, uh, we lost in the finals against uh, Lewiston and I played, I was playing with guys like Brad Marchand, Chris Letang, uh, Sebastien Bissayon, uh, Natural Law, uh, all older guys that would, I was looking up to, you know? So even though I wasn't playing a lot during those series, those playoffs, uh, I got to learn, I got to, you know, practice and, and learn a lot from those guys. And, uh, you know, I remember that year like it was yesterday compared to all the other the other years because it was it was amazing to see all the boys, you know, working together and wanted to win. We had uh, we had our, our first goalie's dad passed away during playoffs. So everything was so emotional. And and so, yeah, that year taught me a lot about what it takes to make a playoff run for sure. Awesome. So you go on to be traded to Idaho, the Steelheads uh, in 2014. Uh, we like to ask. Um, our players uh, about trades how did that come about and how were you told about it because there's so many different stories about how players find out that they're involved in a trade and this was your only trade too correct in your career that, that was yeah that was my first and only trade yeah um we were i think we were dead last with stockton that year and uh, idaho was first in our conference and uh i had my buddy uh, olivia watt i was uh, a goalie for idaho and he kept asking me if I wanted to come play there. They were, uh, they needed a, a defenseman in my style. So I was like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, drop the ship here in Stockton. I'm not that kind of guy, but whatever, like you can ask your coach and see what happens. So I was not expecting anything. And then one day uh, we're all sitting outside, having a beer, getting sun bath in, uh, in uh, Stockton, California. And my phone rang and I, it was, it was a shock to me. Our coach was like, yeah, boots, uh, do you want to get traded to Idaho? I'm like, well, I don't think that's how it should work. Am I traded or not? But he's like, no, I'm asking you if you want to get traded, you're gone. If you want to stay, you can stay because you've been playing here for three years. I said, well, if you can give me a chance to, to win a, to win a cup, I want to, I'll get traded. So uh, the next day I was playing uh, with Idaho against Ontario and uh, Idaho was uh, such an unbelievable uh, organization. Great 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 city in Boise Idaho I don't know if you guys have been there before but uh, if you haven't it's a great place uh, we had a great team great group of guys um, we unfortunately lost in the first round uh, to Utah they were way tougher than us so uh, we got bullied a little bit but we were so talented and it was unfortunate that uh, that we couldn't go uh, further that season so as you know, we talked off air and our listeners know we're, we're from Tulsa, Oklahoma. So uh, Tulsa Oiler fans as well. And we go to a lot of uh, Oiler games. Talk to us a little bit about uh, some of the off ice experiences you had, particularly in uh, Idaho and around that whole sort of mountain division area. Uh, any interesting hotel bus ride stories? Uh, what was one of your favorite arenas to play in the ECHL? Uh, interesting stories. We had, the when I got traded to Idaho, we had the, the California trip still left in the season. So, um, so we had Stockton, Bakersfield and Ontario. 
on the on the schedule. And uh, man, we had a blast winning. We won all every single game, but we had such a blast going to like Santa Monica, Santa Barbara, you know, with the boys, uh, experiencing uh, you know the beach, kind of places that you know you don't see where I come from. And uh, nice, coolest arena. You guys have a really nice arena in Tulsa. I remember that really spot. Uh, I love I love the the barn in Idaho. It's a smaller barn, but it's so loud. It's it's connected to a hotel, so it's not overly big. But the fans there are unbelievable. Our place in Stockton uh, when they were in the UCHL was packed. We had nine ten thousand uh, people there every every single game. Uh, so that uh, when uh, I don't know if you guys remember Garrett Hunt, probably mm-hmm. small uh, small tough guy. Uh, you guys should look him up. He's uh, he's a legend. Every time he was fighting, the roof of that building in Stockton was about to explode. That was unreal. Colorado is a great place to play too when they were in the ECHL. Uh, other than that, I haven't played a lot out east. You know, I went to Florida a couple of times. Obviously, it's always nice to go there. Uh, but all those uh, Toledo. Uh, you know, Adirondack and those places, I've, I've, I've never been. So I can't um, I can't say anything about uh, those ranks. Vegas was unbelievable, too, because, you know, when you first uh, start to play in the ECHL, you're 21 years old and you you get dropped downtown Vegas for a night. Yep. <laughs> Let me tell you, you have a good time, even though, even though I'm not a big gambler, but I still enjoyed it. Uh, so, yeah, there's uh, so many nice places, cities in the ECHL and uh, – that uh, people don't know enough about. Um, so, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed my time in that league for sure. So just to go back and touch upon something you said about the playoffs, just because this is always a debate that I see on social media, Twitter, a debate that my father and I and everybody else has too. Going into the playoffs, we talk about toughness, and sometimes we don't talk about toughness as in fighting, having – you know, your boo guards, your Reeves in the lineup. But you had mentioned how talented Idaho was, but for some reason you couldn't get past Utah because you guys were bullied around the whole time. So as a player... I don't remember him saying he was bullied around the whole time. Well, you, no, not him. The oh. team. Didn't you say the team was bullied around a little bit? They were much tougher? Yeah. So my question is, is well, I think, okay, what kind ahead. of toughness as a team do you have to have to beat a team like that with all that talent because clearly it's not just the talent that can get you far playoffs is the physicality too so basically what i guess what could you have done differently what could the team have done differently if it's the team or if it's the way the team is constructed how, how would you see it as a player well i mean toughness is a you can use toughness in different ways you know you can use uh, that guy's really tough he's a he's a tough fighter or or that guy is a is a tough human being. Like he can play injured. He can take a hit. He can, you know, he, he never backs down to anything. And that's, that's what we were missing a little bit. You know, that, uh, the just, uh, standing up for each other after a big hit or after a brawl or something like that. You know, we had small forwards that were getting hit down low by their huge defensemen and guys could move around. And, uh, you know, in North America, the ice is a, a bit smaller. Back in those years, when you get pinned on the wall by a uh, six foot three, two twenty, and you're five uh, ten, one hundred and seventy five pounds, well, there's not much you can do. So, um, you know, toughness for me is like sacrificing your body and yourself for the team is a is a form of toughness that I think we were missing as well. But talent wise, we were really good. We had really good team chemistry, but not everybody 
I don't think everybody was willing to make the sacrifices to uh, to go all the way. Interesting. So bring us into um, East Coast locker room or, you know, the, the team for a minute. And, you know, a, a lot of our listeners that might not be familiar with uh, um, ECHL, it's a tough league. Uh, first of all, it's it's it can be very rough. It, it is a very fast game, but it's strange because, you know, if you're a contracted player on the ECHL team, that's different than if you've got an AHL deal and you're being sent down, whether it be rehab or you're just being demoted. And, you know, the coach has got to play those AHL guys. They have to get a certain amount of, uh, you know, time in, so to speak. Does that disrupt the locker room at all with the, with the regular uh, players? I or, would imagine there's – Or even when guys get pulled up, right, too? Yeah. Yeah, even pulled up, yeah. But, I, you know, I'm mostly talking about, you know, we're playing, we got our core team, and it's constantly shifting because someone's coming down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course it's, uh, it's disrupting a little bit, but that's the reality of the minor, uh, minor leagues, uh, whether it's baseball or, or hockey. Uh, I think what you need in that situation is you need a good core of veterans and leaders that can control that dressing room, you know? So whenever a guy gets sent down to the ECHL or a guy gets called up, they're all taken care of, you know? They feel like they're welcome and they feel comfortable. With that being said, uh, we're, all, we're all working for ourselves, you know, in that, uh, in that business. So uh, we're, we're all competing against each other for a spot. Um, but, uh, in my head, my personal, um, opinion, I always wanted to matter what, even though you're, uh, you're working hard to get my job or I'm working hard to get your job. I want to be a good teammate because I want to help you help me get better. If you guys know what I mean. Sure. So of course it's, it's, it's disrupting the, the, um, the dressing room, but also the coach have to make sure that that's a tough job for the coach, but he has to make sure to keep everybody accountable and uh, try to keep a good team spirit. So I think uh, a good group leader can, uh, can control that kind of situation for sure. So after you decide um, after I think your five year stint in the ECHL first time around, you decide to head overseas and you sign with the EIHL, which we do have a pretty big fan base over in Sheffield because we've had a couple of current or now ex uh, Sheffield players on and so this is the first time that we've had anybody um, play for the EIHL, and we haven't had too many that didn't play for Sheffield. So we're going to yeah. kind of get into teams that he played for. But one question I had for you first, Sean, what led to your decision to signing overseas in the EIHL? Hear different things, the pay is good, this, that, and that. But I also, I'm sure you had other offers in other leagues overseas, maybe in the ECHL as well. So what kind of led to your decision um, to, to sign over in the EIHL in the U.K.? Uh, I mean, I think the, well, the EIHL is the most comparable uh, European league to the uh, North American hockey style. Okay. So you can have, uh, I think it's up to 12 imports now. I'm not, I'm not really sure. And uh, all those guys, I would say 80, 90% of those guys come from North America, from the East Coast or the AHL. So it's a North American style. There's fighting. There's, uh, there's more hitting than anywhere else in Did we lose Sean? We might have lost Sean. Part of uh, that 
North American hockey um, essence, you know, that, that, uh, that drive, it's, uh, it's not the fastest league, but that's what leads you to be able to be physical. Uh, and uh, the org- there's, a, there's a bunch of good organization in that league as well. I was lucky. I played for Coventry and Benji, two really good organization in that league. Uh, great, great cities at, at, uh, as well. So the, I had a couple other options, but I thought the EIHL was the best, uh, best situation for me. Yeah, so uh, we had on earlier, we mentioned off air, we had Gary Unger, NHL legend on here. And believe it or not, when he finished with Edmonton, he got a deal and he ended up in Dundee. Same as, yeah. Same yeah. as you. Yeah, so we're cool. talking probably cool. about 84, 85. So he was talking about uh, Scotland and, and his travels there. But what, what were your experiences over there? You played in two places, right? Yeah, so um, so I played in uh, England, uh, which is part of the UK, and I played in Scotland, which is also part of the UK. Uh, Scotland and Dundee was probably my favorite place uh, to play in Europe. Uh, the city was nice. You know, there's so much historical stuff over there to learn about. People are so welcoming, and the organization there uh, is run by uh, two brothers. So it's the whole organization is just a big family. If you need something, you, you call the owners directly, and uh, they're so welcoming. They take care of you. They take care of your uh, your um, your family whenever they come in town. Um, so yeah, Dundee was uh, was amazing. Uh, my years there at Dundee was amazing. Unfortunately, it got cut off uh, with the famous uh, COVID. So uh, unfortunately, I was never able to finish finish what we started over there. But uh, I really enjoyed my time there in Dundee. Scotland is uh, is beautiful. Everybody needs to visit Scotland. Talk to us a little bit about the fans when we talk about uh, EIHL uh, players on our on our show. Uh, they rave about the fans. Uh, and it's like you said, I think the buildings are more like uh, East Coast, maybe, uh, you know, five, 7,000 seat arenas, but it usually has a soccer party atmosphere. What was it like for you over there? Yeah, the buildings are, uh, you know, there's maybe three, three, four buildings that are bigger that are North American size. Like maybe uh, there's Sheffield's probably what, 12,000. Uh, Nottingham is big as well. Belfast, Cardiff has a nice rink, but there's also smaller rinks, you know, that seats uh, two and a half uh, thousand or two thousand. So in Dundee, it's a smaller building, but the fans are loud. They have drums and they chant all the time. They chant your names. They chant the, after every win. They have their special uh, songs and stuff. And uh, so there's less there's less music being played, but there's more chants and drums and stuff. And the fans are crazy and they'll follow you on the road and uh, they, they'll bring their drums, their jerseys on the road, no matter how far it is. So that was the similar in Germany. In Germany, they have their super fans that are there that are, you know, standing the whole game. We had that in France as well. So the the atmosphere is different. You know, you, you hear less music and there's less... Uh, you know, sitting around and eating popcorns and hot dogs, but uh, you know, it's more of a party. Cool. Sounds fun. More fun over there sometimes. Yeah. Well, so you had mentioned Germany, you did play in Germany or with a team in Germany for a year. And then you returned back to the EIHL, which is when I believe is when you did play for Dundee for two years. So during that time period, why did you end up in Germany? And then why did you end up coming back to the EIHO? Was it just you were trying a different league and then decided this was what was best for me? What kind of happened in that time period? 
Uh, I always wanted to try Germany. It was a good opportunity to play in a, in a well-known league. You know, the, the Dell 2 is a really, really good league. And uh, I also wanted to, you know, discover new places and learn new cultures. And, you know, that's when I told my family I was going to be playing hockey in Europe for a couple of years. It was to, you know, to, to travel and, uh, and learn as much as I could from uh, every different culture. So after I played in, uh, in Germany, um, I had a good opportunity with uh, coach Omar Pasha. That's now with, uh, he's now with the Nottingham Panthers uh, to come play in Dundee and have a good role there. And uh, I was always curious about Scotland, obviously. So, uh, so I ended up there and I decided to play a second year there and who knows without COVID, maybe I would still be playing there. Um, but yeah, the reason why I, I moved a lot, it was because I was curious about different leagues and, you know, trying to learn as much different stuff as possible. Well, it leads perfectly into my next question then, Sean. So comparing living in North America and then now in Europe, living in different countries there now, lifestyle-wise, was there anything that was tough to adapt to during your time living in Europe? I mean, I'm sure I know they drive on opposite sides of the street and stuff. So is there anything <laughs> crazy that you had to adapt to that America just does not do? Well, the driving part was uh, was funny at start because I told uh, my roommate uh, before we got there, Matt Marquardt, um, the team asked me uh, if we could drive a stick. I said, yeah, no problem. We can drive a stick. But then I got there and my room was like, uh, he said, I'm waiting for you to drive because I can drive a stick, but not on the opposite side of the road. So we always had to be two in the car to drive at first just to make sure both of us were alert and uh, making sure we weren't uh, going on the wrong way. Uh, the runabouts are pretty tough to take at first, but I think other than that, maybe the language barrier, uh, let's say in Germany, when you go to grocery store, not all of them speak English, but people are so nice over there. And, you know, they love the fact that you, you don't come from Germany and you come here to, to visit and uh, to work there. Uh, so <clears throat> I'm a guy that can adapt really easily. So nothing was really hard for me. But uh, everything was really uh, was really fun, you know, to learn a little bit of German, to learn, uh, you know, when you when you hear an old uh, old Scottish uh, man speak Scottish, you can you can't understand anything. Yeah. It's it's pretty hard at first, but uh, all those little things make uh, make my journey journey really interesting, and uh, I'm enjoying it. And so, just to piece everything again correctly, so I don't uh, give out misinformation. That next year for your pro hockey career, I, I noticed you were in a Swedish league and then returned to the ECHL to play for Rapid City, correct? So can you kind of give us that timeline there too? Did you try out there first and then ECHL was last? Or did you go back to Rapid City? What kind of happened there? No, so I, um, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. So I decided to start in the ECHL. Okay. And um, – and I always uh, told myself whenever I'll have an opportunity to, you know, to go back to Europe, if it's interesting enough, I'll probably go. Uh, with that being said, uh, last year was a special year, year in the UCHL. It was only 13 teams. So there was so many players available. So every single week we had players coming in and leaving, coming in and leaving. So at some point there was 12 defensemen in our team. And uh, I sat down with the coach and I said, hey, uh, I have an opportunity to, to go somewhere else. And he said, well, we're going to try to go younger as well. So um, so let's part ways. I said, OK, fine. So I took the deal in Sweden. Uh, 
again, I was curious about the Swedish, uh, you know, hockey lifestyle and the hockey, their, all their, um, their ideas about the, the hockey game. Cause I always loved the Swedish, uh, hockey style. So, uh, so I got there in the, in the hockey Etan league in uh, Boros. Uh, it's a really good organization. Um, Carlson played there. Uh, Carlson that's in San Jose played there when he was young. Um, really good place to be good people. And I, I got to learn some, some hockey stuff that, uh, it's going to serve me along the way. So, uh, I was only there for two months, but I enjoyed it. And uh, since last year was a weird year, that was the that was the choice I was willing to make. Yeah. So and and now take us to today. You are still currently playing, or at least you did just this past 2021-2022 season, and you're a captain for a team. What league are you in now? I can't even pronounce it. And kind of take us through the the season you just had this year. Uh, it's called the league. Sinerglas Magnus. It's in French, obviously. And I was in Mulhouse, but some people say Mulhouse too. But it's pronounced Mulhouse. Uh, it's really close from uh, Strasbourg, which is the capital of Europe. So, uh, so again, there it was a smaller club, but uh, uh, we were a bunch of uh, guys that knew each other that signed there. So um, we were really excited uh, about, uh, that season, but, uh, it didn't turn out the way we, uh, we want it to be. Uh, but, uh, but again, the, the people from Mulhouse are, are really nice. The French, French people are really nice. Uh, there's so much stuff to discover, uh, about their culture. Uh, the hockey style is similar to the Dell two in, uh, Germany. If you guys, uh, want to compare, uh, it's fast, it's fast paced skill, not overly physical. You know, the, as soon as you hit somebody a little bit hard, you get a penalty. They were saying they were going to allow the fighting this year, but they didn't. So, um, but uh, overall, it's uh, it's a fun league. It's a chill lifestyle, and uh, you get you get to travel because you get the Olympic break and the uh, November break. So, uh, fun league to be in. And uh, um, chances are, I'm not going to go back to that club, but I would like to go back to to that league or go back to the UK. I'm open to, to a bit of everything at this stage of my career. So you're only 32. Like you said, you got a lot of hockey left. Um, what is probably going to happen? So like you said, you're kind of, uh, you know, waiting around for, you know, interest and so forth. Do you got to go through an agent? Are they calling you directly? And when uh, does sort of all the interest come about? Like, is it the next two months or the next month or what? What's typically happens? Uh, most guys uh, go through agents. Uh, I use I use my agent just to create the first contact. Because after that, I feel comfortable enough to deal uh, to deal for a contract. You know, I, I know myself. I know what I'm worth. I know I'm not a superstar on every team, but I know the job I can do. I can give an, an honest uh, an honest job. So, um, and after that, some teams are contacting you. Um, you know, right away through uh, Messenger or to, uh, through WhatsApp. WhatsApp is really popular overseas. So they get your number and they call you. Um, the, the market is really slow this year because of uh, everything that's happening uh, in the world and especially, uh, you know, out east in Europe. Yeah. Um, so I would say the market is about three to four weeks late. So it's really slow right now. Um, you know, I'm open to, to any league, really. 
just I just want to be at a a team that wants to compete and uh, you know not just make playoffs but want to win. Um, so yeah, at this stage in my career, my uh, my girlfriend's gonna follow me for the first uh, time this year. We're gonna bring our dog, so it's gonna be a different experience. So I want to make sure the she has she has a really good experience that uh, she's gonna cherish for the rest of her life. So I want to be uh, at a good spot, fair spot, and a good country. So there's uh, there's so many different places that we're looking for right now. Yeah, we're uh, we're going we're going left and right that way, but uh, yeah, we'll see in the next couple of weeks. So we we're already starting to to train for the summer for the for the next season. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have ice time here in the summer. They they turn uh, they shut down the the ice rink here because uh, they use it for a bunch of other things. But uh, you know, we get to do other things to keep ourselves in shape. So cool. cool. So we're gonna finish up with our our famous lightning round that we always end up with. You can uh, give us a name. You can tell us a story. It's up to you. Uh, but we're gonna kind of pop these questions fast at you, and this would be. Just your pro career, meaning not 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 the queue, but from ECHL on. You want to start? Oh boy! All right, here we go. All right. Okay. Favorite bus or away game travel story? Whether something crazy happens, something embarrassing. Favorite bus or away game travel story? Oh boy! I I remember in the, in uh, Germany with Matt Sedal, we used to do uh, on the way back. We used to do uh, wine and cheese night after the game, after a win. So uh, all of the all, all the older boys would come in the back, and we had a double decker. So all the boys were upstairs, would come to the back, play cards, and have wine, cheese, and bread after the game. So those were the days. Uh, it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, other than that, real fast like that, you know. There's stories that. Uh, uh, the bus is shutting down the middle of the highway and stuff like that. I'm sure there's a lot of guys that that, that happen. Uh, I've been in nice buses and I've been in uh, shitty buses as well. Like you have to sleep on the floor and with no mattresses for uh, 12, 15 hours. And that's not really nice, but they're always fun stories to tell. Yeah. The best locker room you've experienced, the best locker room. Uh, I want to say in Boise, Idaho, when I got traded there, we had a really cool group of guys. Yeah, there's there's a bunch. Like I could say that the year we went to the final with Stockton or uh, my first year in Dundee was unreal too. Uh, you, you get to meet so many different type of guys. Some are funny, some are, you know, uh, grumpy, some are – so you get to meet so many guys and there's there's friendship that you create for life. That's what uh, – that's one of the best things about playing hockey for so long. Which arena had the worst ice conditions? Oh, the Cal Palace in San Francisco. Yeah, I believe that. Oh, okay. Oh, that your LA cool. for NHL is pretty bad too. So, yeah, and that ring was built for rodeos. So, uh, I don't, I don't even think they had uh, they had cement under. I think it was dirt. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Um, okay, toughest goalie to score against. And I know you're a defenseman, but still, the toughest goalie to score against. I want to say Jack Campbell, but he was playing for my team. Uh, <laughs> to score against, to score against. That's a tough one. Was Jack the best goalie one. you played with? Now he's with Toronto. I think he's one of the most athletic naturally athletic guy 
you know, you just look at him and you're like, yeah, the guy's a good goalie. He looks good. And he's one of the best humans I've ever get the chance to meet. Uh, I never got the chance to play against him, but uh, yeah, I'm just going to say Jack Campbell because he's, I think he's such a good goalie. Which a player has or had the innate ability to get under your skin? Has there been a rat in your career? Somebody that's spearing you, but won't, won't drop the gloves with you or just wants to annoy you, throw you off your game. Uh, Bootland. I was playing for Colorado. Ooh. That guy, and he was tough. He played uh, He played in, uh, in Detroit for a bit. You know, he was a tough customer, but he was able to get on under everybody's skin. And then at the bar after the game, he would buy you uh, shots and be buddy-buddy with you. you know, but he was one of the biggest rats I've played against. Wow. The most embarrassing or funniest thing to happen to you during a game or a warm-up? Uh, during a warm-up. Getting hit by your own player and losing your helmet is never a good thing. <laughs> or uh, wheeling the net with the puck during the game and hit your own net. It happened to me twice. Oh. You know, you're trying to wheel, You go around the net, you put your head up to make a play, and then boom, you get hit by the net. <laughs> yeah, that happened, that happened to me twice, and I remember exactly which games. Wow. So what do you do when you get back to the bench? Obviously, you're not saying nothing, but do the boys give you a hard time, or what do they do? Not right away, but after the game and the next game, you have to put money on the board. That's for sure. <laughs> well, Sean, I know that uh, this is a broad question, but we do like to close off with this. But I know you're still in your career right now. But what's the first thing that comes to your mind whenever I say, "What is your favorite hockey memory in your pro career thus far?" Uh, favorite moment would be. Uh, Make it to the uh, the ECHL uh, final, winning the, the the Western Conference Championship with all those boys. Uh, I think that was one of my favorite moments. I still haven't won a championship, so uh, let's talk. Let's talk again in a couple of years when I'll win one, and that's going to be because yeah. for me, for, for me, winning is all that matters. So I'm still waiting for that championship. Well, hopefully you make it. We want to see you back in the EIHL again next year, man. We'd like to see you win a championship of that league, man. That'd be cool to follow you. Yeah, you that's a crazy there. league. I still haven't figured out their whole Challenge Cup to the division champion. Yeah, like, they have like seven confusing. different championships. But I don't anyway, understand yeah. what the playoffs are. But yeah. So it, it's, it's super simple. So you have the championship of the, the season. So the whole season, that's a championship. So if you win the season, you win a cup. Challenge Cup is a tournament during the season within all the team from the EIHL. Okay. So, so, you, so you'll have a separate tournament. So you oh, can also win team. that. Yeah. And then the playoffs, it's top eight make the playoffs. You play two games aggregate, like in soccer. So it's like a 120-minute game. And then uh, there's four winners of that. Then it's a playoff weekend in uh, Nottingham. And then you have two semifinal and one final. So that's as simple as that. So within two weeks, your playoffs are done. Wow. Very interesting. Wow. Okay. So no different series. I know, I know Belfast took it all this year, I believe. So I think so. They're, yeah. They're the hot team, but uh, yeah, Sean, we, we look forward to following your career and we're so happy that you, uh, you know, came on our podcast and you hopefully had a good time talking. Yeah. We'll have you on again soon. Hopefully when you win a championship too. Yeah. Any, anytime guys, thanks a lot for having me. It was a lot of fun. Awesome, man. All right. I'm just going to pause this, Sean, and we'll say goodbye off air. Okay. Great guy.
French Canadian, French speaking, English speaking. What a guy. Yeah, I can't pronounce French words at all. I'm not even going to try and make myself right. look dumb. Right. So I, I uh, can't do it either. But uh, great guy, a lot of experiences. And, uh, you know, kind of like a lot of players that we talk to, um, you know, they're using their work, their hockey careers to kind of go and see the world. It's kind of yeah. kind of cool. Well, the, we haven't talked to too many players that, you know, straight up was like, yeah, I just moved from here because I want to try other leagues. I don't think we talked to too many guys that – was willing to do that because most of the time people want to stay in America because they think ECHL, AHL, NHL. Right. When you can still get signed from other places. So uh, signed for a lot more money too, as, yeah. as we're finding out. As we're finding out. Too. Yes. So it's, uh, you know, uh, a gr- some great leagues over there. Now, here's the thing. You're listening to this the same days we recorded Gary Unger. We actually pulled a double stunt today. So it was, it's been a very long, long Thursday, but this won't be released for another few weeks. So by the time you hear this, it will be out later. Yeah, exactly. So we would thank everybody for joining us and uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Have a wonderful day, everybody.